Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. All right, Sarah, thanks very much. Welcome, everybody, to Overtime. I'm Scott Wapney. You just heard the bells. We're just getting started here at Post 9. Another top tech name on deck for earnings. Snap reporting momentarily. Its numbers closely watched for a clue on the state of digital advertising. It's also a first mover read on Facebook and Alphabet, which both report next week. In other words, even if you don't own shares of Snap, this report is critically important at a time when the Nasdaq has really been outperforming lately, including again today. So we'll bring you the report as soon as it hits and, of course, the stock move that follows. We've also got star venture capitalist Rick Heitzman to react to all of that. Anthony Scaramucci, by the way, will also be here a little bit later on for the latest on withdrawals at his firm due to the crypto crash. We begin, though, with our talk of the tape, whether this jump is justified, whether you can count on the rally continuing. So let's ask Solus Alternative Investment uh, Management, Dan Greenhouse. He's the chief strategist and the economist there. He's with us at Post 9. Another strong finish here. By the way, NASDAQ up one plus percent three days in a row. Yeah, I mean, clearly it's been uh, a pretty powerful rally off the off the low a couple days ago. Uh, And and it's been led by technology. Um, Obviously, names like Netflix and Amazon are among uh, the, the strongest performers Tesla. off the low, Tesla, obviously, but also, interestingly, uh, the home builders, uh, which have had a pretty strong rally here, even as the, the macro data has not been cooperating at all. Is it justified? So and the question I asked at the very top of the show, is this move justified? Do you believe it? Yeah, well, I mean, listen, uh, you know, I've been on with you a couple of times where we've discussed a, a rally or a bounce and, and whether it's been justified. And in each case, sure, uh, in, in most cases, what we'll call bear market rallies are 10, 11, 12% off the lows. And in that sense, if that's what's happening now. So you you still think that it is a bear market rally rather than something more significant. As by the way, we just showed the S&P 500 knocking on the door of 4,000. Sure. Finishes at 39.99. Yeah. I mean, but see, in the settlement here, if it even ticks to 4K, but it's just emblematic of the move that we've had. You're not willing to say that it's anything more than a bear market bounce. No, I'm not. Well, first of all, to... to at the risk of, of creating a headline on CNBC.com, like we could bounce up to 4,100 or, or 4,200, something like that. Um, that would be perfectly in line with history. Last time I was on, I said we could bounce up to 4,400, and we immediately went straight down thereafter. Um, th- like that's what bear market rallies do. But again, the, the price action has been such, and the fundamentals have been such that there's no reason to think that we are not yet uh, that we are coming out of the bear market. And until either the price action or the fundamentals tell me otherwise, then you have to believe that that's still the case. So let's go fundamentals. So what if I say, okay, coming into earnings, you and everybody else, I mean, everybody was sort of batting down the hatches for bad numbers. Now, they haven't been like blow the doors off amazing, but they've been far from horrific. That's one thing. Sure. Economic data, not great. Not great We got that again today. Philly Fed, the uh, conference board leading economic indicators was ugly too. So we're sort of you know, begin in the yang of, of where we are, what all of that means for the Fed. But at least we have earnings that aren't completely falling out of bed. And that's one of the reasons why the market has been able to do what it's doing. And I agree with that. And, and admittedly, when you go through the, the 20 percent of the S&P market cap that's reported thus far, still a, a small portion, 
commentary is mixed. You have some of the transport logistic companies uh, that have reported that seem to suggest that things are generally okay. You have Bath and Body Works, uh, which, which pre-announced not very good numbers at all and, and had fairly negative things to say. So I don't think you can uh, come out of this and say everything is on the up and up, but I, I also think clearly it hasn't been thus far as bad as perhaps I would have thought, but there's still a lot of room to go here. We've got several more weeks of this. And I think the important thing to note too is nothing that has happened so far gives you any reason to believe that the Fed is in full throttle on fighting inflation. Inflation's still high, so earnings are great. If anything, that emboldens, and the, the economy is not falling you know, off a cliff. Parts of it are troublesome, but that only emboldens the Fed to stay the course. Well, well yes, but, but at the same time, and we've talked about this in the past, you cannot ignore what gasoline prices are doing. For the, for the Federal Reserve, for central banks in general, not to get too wonky, inflation matters, but so does inflation expectations. And for the average consumer out on the street, inflation expectations is really one of two things. The price of gasoline at the pump, uh, at the pump and the, uh, the price of milk in the supermarket. And if one of the two are coming down at a fairly expedient pace, then that's going to help contain inflation expectations, which over time will be the first... Um, the first indication that the Fed has a, an all clear, so to speak, to, to not necessarily stop hiking, but at least uh, not do so so uh, as aggressively. All right. So let me just remind everybody once again, we are waiting on snap earnings. They are expected uh, momentarily. We'll bring you that report as it crosses and the, and the stock move. And in an environment where the Nasdaq has really been rallying, Tesla pretty well, uh, Netflix was way better than what was feared. This is going to be an interesting tell as you start to look into next week where the rubber meets the road on earnings. Let's uh, broaden out the conversation if we could. Bring in Hightower, Stephanie Link, and Requisite Capital Management's Bryn Talkington, both, of course, CNBC contributors. <clears throat> Excuse me, Steph, you first. As I said to Mr. Greenhouse here, to my left, NASDAQ is up better than 1% three days in a row. The significance of that, if any, to where you think this is going. Well, uh, Scott, you know, I'm thinking that we're in a trading range and we have been in a trading range for a while. So I've been saying choppy volatility is on the rise and that sort of thing. Until the Fed signal that they're done tightening or until we get really, really bad data, then we're probably we're probably really going to have these headwinds. Right. And they have barely even started to tighten, right? They're not even at neutral yet. So you have a Fed that is behind the curve and playing catch up into a slowing economy. You mentioned the Philly Fed. Uh, that was really pretty dismal. Initial claims are starting to rise as well. Um, and, and so I think the weaker economic news, along with inflation, along with a strong dollar, and let me tell you, I've listened to a dozen calls call so far from earnings, and it has been dollar and it has been inflation. Even if companies have pricing power, they're having problems on the cost side of things. So I think we're just kind of chop around for a while. So the AAII sentiment got so incredibly negative, so extreme. And historically, when it gets that extreme, yeah, you do have a rally and a pretty fierce one. And it could last a while. Um, and I actually think that this growth rally over value, and it's been beating by 500 basis points since June, I think that's sort of interesting. Um, but I don't think you want to get over your skis on growth or over your skis on value. You have to be more balanced because we do have the Fed. We do have inflation. Historically, that's not good for long duration assets. And we have a ways to go in terms of what the Fed is going to be doing. This is all going to come down. I'm glad you ended on what the Fed is going to do, Brent. It's all going to come down to what the Fed's comfortable with, right? How much is the, the Fed content with slowing the economy and to what degree? Is a mild recession acceptable 
to the Fed? Because if we don't have a recession, we're going to get right to the doorstep, it feels like, right? The, um, as we said, Philly Fed, ugly. LEI, ugly. Housing has been ugly. Job cuts, we're starting to hear about more of those. And those numbers are only likely to pick up. So it really depends on how far the Fed wants to press the case on inflation and put the economy into whatever tough state that it's going to go into as a result. Right. I think the key with the Fed next week, I think 75 is like in the cards that we all feel that's going to happen. It's going to be their words. It's going to be what they say. Are they going to use more words like measured? Are they going to are they going to continue to be really hawkish? Because I think those words are incredibly important. You know, Jay, they've said that the recession is not their base case. I think, though, investors are going to remain very frustrated all year long. I mean, you know, Stephanie said it so well. You don't want to get over your skis on really any one sector. And as long as the Fed is tightening, both they're reducing their balance sheet and raising rates, I think it's going to be really hard for our investors or the markets to really get multiple expansion. Because, Scott, if you think about this, oil spikes have preceded recessions. Inverted yield curves have preceded recessions. Aggressive Fed have preceded recessions. We have all three this year. And so really what I'm anchoring on is trying to figure out what's actually priced in. But what I am really interested in is, and I've been talking about this, is a lot of these tech stocks continue to make higher lows and have, you know, are really creeping up. And to me, that's a really good sign of a bottoming process. And I think that Netflix you know, came out and you actually traded up after their earnings is another good sign of some of these stocks that are down 60 and 70 are actually bottoming out. Yeah, we uh, really, uh, Snap is imminent. Uh, I just want to r- remind everybody of that. We'll have that the moment that it comes out. You wanted to yeah, I, j- j- I mean, say something? Britain's exactly right. What you want to see your stocks rallying on bad news on the idea that that I told you I'm going to lose 2 million subscribers. Uh, I, I lose a lot, but it's not quite as yeah, bad. Yeah, I lose as a million. I don't lose 2 million. Yes, so, hey, let's throw a party. Not, let's throw a party. And, and that's good. But something Bryn said is also uh, bears commenting on the Fed uh, that a, a mild recession is not their base case. I mean, that in 275 is going to get me on the subway. Uh, the Federal Reserve has no credibility whatsoever, as does anybody. This is a $20 trillion economy. And the idea that, that a bunch of people sitting around a table have any idea with any specificity uh, the degree of recession they're going to cause is just not borne out by the data. Uh, you know, you know, Steph, I, I just want to get to before we get to uh, a snap, which I expect any second now, it's not like you're doing nothing in the market. I've documented both on this show and halftime of moves you, you've been making. You just bought a new one, too, and that's Broadcom. Yeah, it's my first semiconductor name in a long time, Scott. Tell uh, me look, why. I think down 20. 20- well, I think it down 23%, trades at 13 times uh, earnings, it yields 3.2%. But most importantly, the company did had a, con- a conference and, and a meeting uh, recently, and they talked about hey, supply demand. Yeah. Steph, forgive me, I'm going to interrupt you because I'm going to go to Julia for Snap, and then I'll come back to you. Julia, what do we have? Snap earnings and revenue both coming in below expectations. A two cent per share loss. That's double the loss anticipated. While revenue $1.1 billion is a hair short of the $1.14 billion that analysts had estimated. Now, the company's daily active users growing faster than expected. Snap adding 15 million daily users in the quarter for a total of 347 million DAUs. Snap also announcing a $500 million stock buyback plan. So we got for guidance, no top or bottom line guidance for the third quarter. The company does usually give some guidance, but Snap estimates that daily active users 
in the third quarter will be 360 million in Q3. That is five and a half million more than analyst consensus. But there is some guidance in a little bit of a revenue guide here. The company warning that so far this quarter, revenue is flat year over year. That's a big disappointment from the 18% revenue growth that the Wall Street was Wall Street was projecting for the entirety of Q3, and it's certainly way down from the 50% year-over-year growth that investors had become accustomed to over the past five years. That's the average over the past five years. Now, that downfall, uh, it, that, that downturn is blamed by SNAP on platform policy changes. Of course, that's referring to Apple. Um, also, increased competition and then macroeconomic challenges. You see shares are now down 17%. Scott? So so let's get into a couple of things here that I notice um, that maybe you can, can speak to. Um, average revenue per user, the estimate was 357. They come in at 320. That's far below, obviously, uh, where expectations were. And just to remind everybody, too, Julia, from what I have here, remember, last time they reported in April, they gave their guidance of revenue growth year over year of between 20 and 25 percent. They came out only a month later and cut that guidance. And Evan Spiegel at the time said they would miss. They'd be at the low end of the range. Not only did they not make the low end of the range, as the street was expecting 18, they're flat. That is an incredible disappointment for where the company even saw things. Yeah, flat for for so far in Q3, Scott. So I think it's really interesting here that CEO Evan Spiegel has taken a very different tone in this letter. He says um, that it will likely take some time before we see significant improvements. He says we are not satisfied with the results we're delivering regardless of the current headwinds. But he does lay out a couple of ways that they are focusing on opportunities to drive growth despite the macroeconomic pullback, talking about direct response ads um, and also how to better drive productivity. I know we've been talking a lot um, throughout the day today about companies either halting hiring or doing layoffs. He says they're looking at, quote, a substantially reduced rate of hiring and strict um, reprioritization of goals and initiatives across the company. So some commentary there about where it looks like they're going to be doing cost cutting. Um, one other thing, Scott, yeah. um, Snap ex- extended Evan Spiegel um, and his co-founders contracts and announced that if the stock hits $40 a share, it'll do a split um, through a one-to-one dividend, though the stock is now at less than $13 a share. Yeah, I see here they're, they're going to cut back on hiring as well. Uh, Julia, thank you. We'll hear from you, I'm sure. Uh, before our show comes to an end. The headline really here. And Steph, I'll go to you, right? The headline, weakest ever sales growth, citing the digital ad spending slowdown. Uh, You own Facebook. Let's throw up shares of, I want to see just if there's anything in sympathy here of of either Alphabet or or Meta, uh, because that's directly where you would see it if there is. And just that speaks to the environment really that we're in. This uh, a a weakening economy and uh, fears of uh, a slowdown in spending. And there you go. Uh, in the OT, you got MetaShares down 6%. Yeah, well, okay. So there's a big difference between in valuation between Snap and Meta, and that's one of the reasons why I favor Meta. Um, and I also think that Meta has more size and scale. They've got two to three billion daily active users and monthly active users. 
while SNAP did post better daily active users, everything else was, was, was not good, right? So I think that we've heard enough news, negative news from Zuckerberg and team. We already know that they have problems and they have to fix reels and they are doing it, but they also have Instagram. They also have WhatsApp. They also have Oculus. So there's a lot of drivers for the long term that I think this company can deliver uh, over the long term, double digit uh, earnings and, and upper single digit revenues. The valuation discrepancy is crazy though, right? So Snap trades at 124 times earnings and, and Meta trades at 13. Meta trades at seven times EV to EBITDA, which means they're profitable and price to sales at four times. I mean, so so Snap's not even profitable. So we don't, you can't even talk about that. And not only that, I want to see the free cash flow number at uh, Snap because it was expected to be negative and I bet it is. Whereas Meta has over $24 billion in free cash flow. So there's different, you're talking about different apples and oranges. It's not that they're going to be immune from the slowdown in digital advertising, but I think there's a lot baked in for a high quality blue chip company in this sector. Yeah, Dan Greenhouse. Uh, and Steph, Steph, let me ask you a question. In an environment where the economy is weakening and I have to be uh, a little more closely watching where I spend my ad dollars, isn't it fair to say that a, a quote-unquote proven platform like a Google or a Meta is a better destination for my money than a, than a Snap, which is disproportionately weighted towards a younger demographic, uh, more crypto, th those sorts of things? Isn't, isn't it an argument in favor of Meta? Absolutely. The ROIs are, are crazy, and they're so much better than uh, traditional advertising. Plus, Meta has 10 million advertisers, and they're not going away, right? So so you just kind of have to step back and see which one you want to play. I get why people like Snap. Um, the stock also, by the way, rallied significantly this week, so it's giving back all that and then some. Uh, but if this thing is down 64%, um, so I think it could be an M&A candidate at some point, in, in my mind. But uh, from a fundamental point of view, Meta is in much better shape. Now, that's not going to say that they're going to have a great quarter. It's just, I think, longer term, they just have a better model. Yeah. Although, Bryn, I could, I could just say a slowdown is a slowdown is a slowdown, and everybody gets impacted, some obviously more than others, but everybody gets impacted. Yeah, everyone gets impacted, but I, I agree with Stephanie on, on Facebook, though, because Instagram is an advertiser's dream. And if you're going to advertise in one spot, you're going to pick Instagram. I mean, it's such a powerful, it's such a powerful medium. And I think that as investors, the problem with Snap is really the valuation. And so if you're going to have slowing revenue, slowing sales, slowing ARPU, and you have 143 trailing you know, earnings, it's just too expensive right now with all of those hurdles in front of it. And so I think people will pick their spots. I mean, I see Facebook is down, what, 5.5% right now. So clearly down in sympathy. But I think at 13 and 14 times earnings, and, and you're going to, I think, continue to see Instagram be really strong for Facebook, I think it's a good value here. Goodness. You're, I mean, the valuation is still too expensive. The stock's down 75% plus in the last year. Even and, in a shorter period of time, right. and you're telling me it's still way too expensive? What the heck was it when it was where it was before? Ex well, it, you know, you, it is what it is, right? It's like there's no way, I don't think, investors are going to look at Snap, whether it's at 16 or 13, and it barely has an E, and say they have slowing growth, slowing revenue, slowing ARPU, and then I'm going to give it multiple expansion when the Fed is extending out that duration. I just don't think that's realistic right now. And so it's expensive until it's not. But right now in this kind of market, I don't think this stock is going to get even remotely a bid around here. Yeah, I mean, when that's, that's the kind of market you're in. 
Yep. When you add uh, these high-flying yep. names, they get obliterated, and then you come out, Dan Greenhouse, and say, it's still expensive. Yeah, I mean, for the youth out there, this is a bear market. And there is no, you know, to key off of Bryn's point, there was uh, a year and a half, uh, over the last year and a half, where you, with rising interest rates, there was no tolerance for excessive valuations. And now in the market in which we find ourselves, there's no tolerance uh, considering growth is slowing and the Fed is tightening. And, and g given the stock's performance when it's already down as much as, as you said, uh, it's just perfectly emblematic of the, of the environment in which we found or find ourselves where you have to be very careful as, as corporate management right now. Excuse me. Uh, you cannot allow a quarter like this to happen or you're going to get punished exactly as Snap is being punished. Steph, i got to believe, even as though you, you make a bullish case to our audience, that you must be a little perhaps more concerned at this moment than you were at, say, 359 before we <laughs> began our show and this number came out, maybe hoping that it wasn't going to be as bad as it apparently is for a stock that's down 26 percent that's doing a drag on some of the ones in your book. Yeah, by the way, the free cash flow number at Snap, negative 147 million. So people were expecting negative 51. So even worse than I thought. And again, I point to the free cash flow at Meta, which is very strong. They have a buyback. Yes, I'm worried. There's no question about it, and especially since the stock has rallied about 6% in the last week, week and a half. So it's giving back what it actually just gained. So uh, we'll see what they report. Um, it's well telegraphed by Zuckerberg that they're that they're cutting OpEx, CapEx, anything that they can, people. So the whole industry is doing the same thing. So we're going to have to see how what the reactions are next week, especially for the big five. It's going to be a very wild week, and we could be swinging back and forth. And as I mentioned, we're going to be in a trading range. We're not out of the woods by any means for not some time. Yeah, we'll leave it there. Uh, it's going to be a big week. We'll be here in OT uh, covering all of it, too. Dan Greenhouse, thank you. Steph, Brind, I'll see you soon. Let's get to our Twitter question of the day now. We want to know, what is the best social media stock to own right now? Snap, stock's down 26% this moment. Meta, Twitter, or Pinterest, which now has an activist in it. You can head to at CNBC Overtime to vote. We'll share the results later on in our show. We're just getting started here in Overtime. Up next, more reaction to that blockbuster from Snap and in a down way, of course, as you see shares here in Overtime down 25%. Noted venture capitalist Rick Heitzman, he's standing by with his big takeaways from that quarter. And later, Skybridge Capital's Anthony Scaramucci joins us. The latest on withdrawals at his fund, what he thinks about investing in Bitcoin now. We're back here in Overtime, two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Bitcoin pulling back today. This comes after a strong couple of days, up more than 9% just this week. Joining us now is Skybridge Capital founder and CNBC contributor Anthony Scaramucci. Welcome. It's good to see you here. Good to be here, Scott. So the headline for you, obviously, this week was that you had halted withdrawals in, in one of your funds, yes. a smaller fund called Legion Strategies, which, which you dealt with on Squawk Box earlier in the week. 
Headline New York Times says you're facing a quote unquote max mass exodus of investors from your funds, including the flagship fund. You want to expand on that? Is that true? Uh, well, I mean, you know, Morgan Stanley put a sell on the fund, and so people are redeeming, and so you know, we're having an orderly exit. Um, but I think what sometimes happens is, you know, people sell bottoms at times. I mean, it does happen. We're all fallible. Uh, and I think, you know, time will tell whether that's the right thing to do. In the meantime, my sales team's out there raising money. Uh, people do like bottoms as well. So, I mean, it's a mix of both things. Uh, but yeah, listen, Skybridge is having a difficult time. I would be remiss in saying otherwise. Uh, I want to be a straight shooter on your air at all times. Uh, but I do think in the difficulty, there's great opportunity for Skybridge. Uh, the last time I faced this kind of difficulty, Scott, was in 2008. And we did some pretty strategic things. You know, we bought Citibank's fund of funds, the one that you're referencing right now. Right. Uh, and so, so there's some big opportunities for us. But yes, uh, investors, uh, you know, Bitcoin has not done well. It's been a core position for us. Uh, and I think some people want to take the exit. And we're allowing people to take the exit pursuant to those documents. Right. On the you have gates things, and things like that, right? It's not a gate. Well, it's because time, it's an inter- you have time frames. Yeah, it's an interval fund. And so we have a tender. The board sets the tender. Uh, we set the tender. People will get out pursuant to the document that they signed. Uh, listen, I'm a customer-facing person. I want to do the right thing for all customers. So unfortunately, in a time like this, it's a balancing test. You've got customers that want to stay in. They want the integrity of the portfolio intact. You want customers to leave. You can't just sell the liquid stuff, Scott, and leave the remaining customers that want to stay in with the illiquid stuff. So you have to balance that. We have an independent board that's advised by outside counsel. I think they've done an amazing job, frankly. Uh, I'm confident that Skybridge's uh, best days are still ahead of itself. Uh, this is the fifth anniversary for my White House press conference. So yeah, it is. I'm I saw it's that. It's been five years of uh, hell and hellstorm. Uh, and look, I think the good news is for us, uh, I've got an optimistic, great group of people that I'm working with, and we'll we'll work our way you, through the problem. You put this in perspective, though. A moment ago, this is the worst situation you've been in for the firm since '08. That kind yeah, of puts things definitely. into perspective, Anthony. Yeah, I mean. Do, do definitely you, the worst situation. Again, everyone's having a different situation. We have the worst market crisis since 1970, right? First half of the year, worse since 1970. Um, but I think for us, with Bitcoin down 50% on the year, we had a big position in Bitcoin. Uh, the, the ironic thing about our position is we bought the coins at around 18,000. So they went to 69,000, traded back to 22,000. Of course, you take money in at the top, Scott, and money leaves at the bottom. So I wish people would recognize that and stay calm and be with us. Uh, the irony is if we went from 18,000 to 22,000, everyone would be happy right now. But it didn't go that way. But I like, I like the Bitcoin long term, you know, the Bitcoin investment long term. I know long-term. you do. We, we, I guess and I so, think it's fair to say we, we hope uh, as investors, sort of speaking for all, for all of us who, who are investors, uh, that we learn from our mistakes at, at, at some point. Do you think you made a mistake uh, do you regret being as exposed to Bitcoin as you obviously were? Hey, I, I, I don't I don't regret it. I think that the was it a mistake? Uh, uh, was it a mistake? Well, listen, in hindsight, I can tell you every a phone book of many mistakes. So if you want to qualify the last six months of it as a mistake, yes. But invite me on the air, hopefully in three years, and then we can recant it. Remember, there were guys that bought Amazon into the March 2000 debacle. I think the stock went from like 115 to six. People said, well, that's obviously a mistake. Uh, Jeff Bezos, they had his face on Barron's with a bomb, Amazon.bomb. Mm-hmm. 
uh, he shot himself into outer space and took Captain Kirk with him 15 years later. So, so to me, is it a mistake? Short term, it's a mistake. But remember, everybody's a long-term investor until they have short-term losses. And yeah. so I want to measure the Bitcoin investment over a four-year interval. I think if you've, if you've held Bitcoin for a rolling four-year cycle, you have made money. That was the integrity of the position at the time that we made it. And so I don't want to say that it's a mistake, but if we want to be a Monday morning quarterback, of course, I would have loved to have sold all my Bitcoin at the top of course. and bought it back at 17000 But we can't do that in the markets. Um, and so I don't, I don't necessarily say that it's a mistake, uh, but let's measure it over a three to well, five if, year period what, of time. What if my response to you was the only reason it was up to where it was in the first place was because of a raging bull market that got supercharged towards the end of it by the Leverage. liquidity from the Fed. Yeah. So in a more normalized environment, what allows you to be as bullish long term on Bitcoin really as you obviously are? Well, it's a really good question. And so the, the answer to that is there's been an exponential growth in wallets. Uh, there has been an exponential growth in transactions on Bitcoin. There are guys like Jack Mahler's working on this uh, through the Lightning Network. Uh, and I think over time, Bitcoin will be a peer-to-peer -peer transaction uh, rail system for a good part of the economy. And there'll be underlying technologies like Ethereum or perhaps Algorand that'll also be a part of that. And so when I look at the technology, study the technology, I find it hard pressed to believe that this will not be part of our future. Uh, but I understand the bear case. The bear case is, well, there was a boom, liquidity driven boom, Bitcoin and other technologies at a high volatility got taken up and they got shot to pieces on the way down. Uh, but I see it a little differently than that. I see the economy normalizing, inflation numbers tapering. I think the Fed switches its policy stance by the end of the year. And then I think you get into a more normalized market. And I think if Bitcoin's 30 or 40,000 and we bought it at 18,000, mm -hmm. all, all things considered, I think it's a pretty good investment. The New York Post, before I let you go, said you're raising Are you raising money for a new fund? Yeah. They, they say you're, you're quote unquote doubling down. Yeah. on crypto in the we, face uh, of yeah. all of this. Well, we are raising money for new funds. I'm just not sure if I'm allowed to talk about that on the air or not, but we are, there was a report that we are raising money. And so, yes, I mean, the firm is committed to its cryptocurrency. We only have 20% in those funds that you're referencing, but we do have core specific cryptocurrency funds. And yes, we're making a macro bet that this is a big part of the future. Uh, to remind people that are old like me, not you, but me, <laughs> Thank uh, you. March of 2000. You obviously want to come back on the program. But, you know, but Mar March of 2000 <laughs> was a rough year for people. A lot of my generation swore off technology and they made a horrific mistake because those technology companies that were down 80, 90 percent in the March 2000 debacle are now at the top of the S&P 500. And so I'm encouraging people to think long term, don't overreact to the current market cycle. Uh, but, you know, listen, I got to take the heat and I've got to be accountable to investors, which is why I'm on your show. Yeah, and I appreciate and I know they do that. Your candor. Uh, but which I do. You always I have. don't necessarily love the sinking boat in The New York Post where I'm on the SS Mooch and I'm heading down. But I like to also think that, you know what, when that happens, it's usually a sign of a bottom. Yeah, we shall see. Uh, see. Anthony Scaramucci, I appreciate Thank, it very thanks much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here in overtime. It's time for a CNBC News update with Shepard Smith. Hey, Chef. The SS Mooch. I like it. It's Scott, thanks from the news on CNBC. Here's what's happening. The president has COVID. He's COVID positive, but says he'll continue to carry out all of his duties while quarantining in the White House residence. That from the press secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre, this afternoon. His symptoms described as very mild, 
The White House COVID coordinator, Dr. Ashish Jha, saying Mr. Biden is taking Paxlovid, the antiviral therapy that's used to lessen symptoms. The president is vaccinated and double boosted. And Dr. Jha says he expects him to respond well to the treatment. The former Minneapolis cop Thomas Lane sentenced to two and a half years in prison today for violating George Floyd's civil rights. Then Officer Lane held Floyd's legs. Officer Derek Chauvin knelt on his neck for more than nine minutes. Prosecutors had asked for more than five years. George Floyd's family called the sentencing insulting. And the defense rests in Steve Bannon's criminal contempt trial. Bannon's lawyers did not call any witnesses, did not present any evidence, then promptly asked the judge to dismiss the charges, which is rote. They haven't ruled yet. Closing argument set for tomorrow. Tonight, we're learning more about the evidence and testimony expected at the January 6th hearing this evening on the news right after Jim Cramer, 7 o'clock Eastern time. And then live coverage of the primetime hearing with no commercial interruption starts immediately after the news on CNBC. Scott, back to you. All right, Shep, appreciate that very much. Thank you. That's Shepard Smith. Snap shares, they are plummeting after missing on the top and the bottom lines. Up next, we have reaction from star venture capitalist Rick Heitzman. Don't miss that. Shares now down just about 25% in overtime. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Another check on shares of Snap in overtime. Joining me now with reaction to that quarter. You see the stock is pretty much in this holding pattern here of settling down 25%, at least for this moment. Let's talk to star venture capitalist Rick Heitzman. He's the founder of FirstMark Capital. What's your read here, Rick? It's good to see you again, obviously. Hey, good seeing you, Scott. Uh, This is a mess. I think this is kind of the worst case scenario that we could have envisioned. So it's a combination of operating as well as macro problems. From an operating perspective, they were light on DAUs. They were light on what their customers were doing. And there's probably a couple of different things. There's a competitive aspect from Instagram and TikTok. But then there's also just a, a consumption pattern kind of coming out of a pandemic. What does it mean for Snap? The second piece is light on ARPU. Uh, and they're not quite sure after pre-announcing and missing the low end, what are they going to do? And then the third leg of the stool, also incredibly negative, is suspending guidance for Q3 and beyond. So, you know, they don't it, it's very clear that the economy and their business is, you know, is unpro- unprojectable at this point, which is obviously yeah, a huge negative sentiment. Yeah, I mean, it's unprojectable. It's, I guess the, the best word to use here uh, as you put a real uh, reality check, I think, on where this currently stands. Right. Lack of visibility, how you can report your earnings in April and guide down less than a month later and then not even come close to what your guidance was last time. It it just gives you and I don't know if it's a way to take some of the I don't want to use the word blame, but the onus off of of Spiegel and the executive team over there. It's hard to project anything, as you just said, especially in this space. But that's that's part of your job as a public company, right? I mean, I think if you're a younger, mature company, we work with a lot of private companies, you could sometimes say, hey, I'm uncertain given COVID, I'm uncertain given what's going on, but but you can't give guidance and then pull that back a month later and then miss it. 
and then say, hey, I can't give guidance anymore. That's yeah. that's a, it's a real responsibility if you're a twenty five billion dollar company. I hear you. Um, cut spending, cut hiring. Is this going to be now the new normal for tech? Or it's it not just Snap that's talking about it. Right. Microsoft, Google, uh, Apple reports Everyone. of it uh, slowing spending, et cetera. And I think that's you know, the problem for Snap is it's the last one. So Google just announced a couple of days ago they're suspending hiring. You know, Uber was on the front end of this in March where you know, people were seeing real leadership to cut spending in what a lot of people assumed was going to be a recessionary or recessionary-like environment. Um, a few people thought they were so exceptional that they didn't have to have to take those expense steps. And it seems like they're now being punished for not being proactive. And I think you're mm. seeing this in Snap and you might see it in a couple other tech companies who are gonna see their top line softening and they were slow to react on the expense side. Yeah, speaking of other tech companies, I mean, you just used the words, you know, the, the last one to announce these sort of hiring slowdown in terms of those larger tech names. Uh, they are the first one to report uh, yes. of some of the ones that we talked about. That's a d decided, <laughs> Uh, negative here now for some of the ones we've talked about, whether it's meta or alphabet. So how do we read through to that? Well, I, I think that we, what you're seeing on the consumption patterns, Instagram, I, I think, is going to continue with a good consumption pattern. So, you know, of the three problems that Snap has, consumption patterns, I feel like that might not roll over necessarily into Instagram or Pinterest. But from a monetization perspective and an ARPU perspective, I think what you're seeing is a slowing of the consumer, a slowing of CPG uh, companies spending on all ads, especially online ads. And you're going to see a softening of ARPU across the board for this whole sector. So if this is what's happening in the public marketplace, what does the private marketplace look like right now where you basically make your living? Yes, I, I, I tried it. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's it's also been a little bit rough. I think the the best companies, uh, you know, we started to see the cracks in November, December, and then in January, February, started to take action. So what you're seeing is probably folks no different than Snap that feel like they got the memo late. The the companies that aren't performing as well are just taking those actions. What you're seeing in the private marketplace where you might even have more control, especially on your spend, that the best CEOs took action in the first quarter, and now they're actually getting ready to play offense. So there's a much more discrepancy among quality of management and quality of opportunities in the private marketplace. But we're fortunately seeing those best companies uh, getting ready to play offense in the second half or being able to react to the market wherever it might take us. I called you a star venture capitalist. That's why. Thanks for helping us make sense of it. I'll see you soon. Oh, uh, we'll try to figure it out. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, like everybody else. Rick Heisman, thank you. Up next, a new jolt of energy, another halftime trader getting back on the oil train. And that trade will break it down in today's halftime overtime. Let's do today's halftime overtime. Re-energize the halftime investment committee returning to the energy trade after the sector's recent pullback. First, it was Joe Terranova adding EOG resources. Now, Jim Labenthal buying ExxonMobil. There's going to be a secular supply-demand imbalance for years to come. I know Exxon's reporting next week. I'm not trying to predict which way earnings are going. I'm just uh, starting a position here. I'll add to it. 4% dividend yield, uh, single-digit multiple, and secular reasons for it to continue to grow going forward. So for me, as I said, it's a no-brainer. All right, that's Hightower's. Uh, that's Jim Labenthal, Hightower's Stephanie Link. 
is back with us now. So what do you think of that? You own Chevron, of course, over yeah. ExxonMobil. But what do you think of Jim's thesis as to why he calls this a no brainer? Yeah, because the stocks have come down like 15, 20, 25 percent from their highs. And I've been overweight energy all year long. I actually am even more uh, overweight with my new recent purchase uh, in Occidental. But the industry has changed their strategy, Scott. They're, uh, they're not focusing as much on growing production. They're growing production, but not aggressively, given where prices are at and where they historically have increased production. Instead, they're focusing on shareholder returns, dividends and buybacks, special dividends and that sort of thing. So um, I think the supply-demand situation stays very tight, and I want to do a barbell. So I do have the Chevron, which is just like Exxon, right? I mean, but I do think Chevron has better assets, um, a nice dividend yield of 4%. I have the, t- the technology, hidden technology play in Schlumberger, which, by the way, reports tomorrow. I think it's going to be a very good one. And I also have Diamondback Energy, which is an EMP company, which has raised their dividend and, and, and put in special dividends a couple of times this year. So it's, it's crazy the kind of things that we're seeing from some of these companies in terms of providing shareholder value. So let me ask you this. Why isn't the slide in those shares going to continue if almost every economic, pure economic metric is coming in weak and decidedly so? So if we're going to be worried about demand moving forward in a matter of however many months, isn't that going to be a negative for these stocks? It certainly could, certainly. Um, but these companies, their break-evens are at 40 to $50 oil. And as I mentioned, these companies are not focusing on increasing supply at all. And that's why the price has gone up so much. So to me, I, I think that at these levels, they're minting money at even 40 to $50 oil. They're minting money and they're focusing. They're totally changing their strategy. They used to drill, baby drill, right? And now they're not. And so they are focused on the shareholder and ESG and clean and green. And that's what's changed. And what has changed also is the stocks have come down, but the multiples have come down even more. So they're even cheaper here at these levels. Steph, we'll leave it there. Thank you. That's Stephanie Link. I'll see you soon for sure. We're tracking some big movers in overtime. Christina Partinovolo standing by with that as always. Christina. We've got another company taking a hit from the strong U.S. dollar. This time it's the maker of Barbie and Hot Wheel. And it's truly not cutting it. Shares of Boston Beer plunging. I'll tell you why after this short break. As always, we're tracking the biggest movers in overtime. Christina Partinovolo is on the case for us as usual. Christina. You mean, what do we have on tap right now? Boston beer earnings, and that's causing shares to fall over 10%. Revenue beat, but earnings missed. The company slashing its full-year earnings per share guidance. Last year, or last quarter, I should say, they guided in a range of $11 to $16. Now they're saying the range is going to be $6 to $11. So that's a huge drop. Shipment volume for Q2 fell 1% because truly hard seltzer, that was the pun before, and Angry Orchard aren't as popular anymore. Shares of Intuitive Surgical, a company that makes robots for non-invasive surgery, are plunging also in the OT after the company missed the street's earnings per share estimates by about five cents. Revenue came in lighter. Stock is down 13 percent right now. And then we've got a big beat by Barbie and Fisher price maker Mattel. Earnings per share of 18 cents. That's tripled the street's expectation. Revenues came in higher than anticipated. But the company did say they took a four percentage point hit on revenue due to the strong U.S. dollar. Despite this really strong earnings beat, they are reiterating their full-year guidance. Shares right now are down over 2.5%. Don't miss the CEO of Mattel on Mad Money tonight with Jim Cramer coming up at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Scott, back to you. All right. Sounds good. Christina, thank you. Still ahead, our two-minute drill. One money manager revealing which auto-related stock he thinks is cheap right now. 
We're back in overtime after this. We're back in overtime. Let's get the results now of our Twitter question of the day. We asked, what is the best social media stock to own right now? 70% of you saying Meta. Interesting, given what Snap just said ahead of Meta's report next week, which, of course, we'll, ha- we'll have live here in overtime. Up next, our two-minute drill. One money manager seeing a buying opportunity in a financial stock. That name when we come back. Time for the two-minute drill. Joining us now, Mark Travis. He's Intrepid Capital President. It's good to see you. Give me a comment quickly, if you would, on the market uh, in general. Where, where you think we are after a sizable move? Well, I think the market's starting to discount uh, Fed easing up on the, the, the tightening. I think we'll get 75 beeps next week. Uh, we don't meet in August, and they maybe, uh, you know, don't maybe give us 50 beeps in September. So I think the market's discounting six to nine months out. And... Um, that's that's helping uh, equity prices. All right. So if that's the scenario, the stocks I want to buy, according to you, are the triple V's Valvoline. Why? Well, I, I think you've got great same store sale growth. Uh, you got old cars out on the road. Everybody knows how expensive you know used and new vehicles are. So I think the fleet in America is probably 11 years at this point, and they have 1,600 you know oil loop, quick loop stations. So they got uh, rapid growth, and they're expanding that. In addition, for their traditional lubrication business, they've got Aramco is mentioned as a bidder for the business. They're going to split it apart. So I think at this valuation, it makes sense. Okay. And how about Jeffries, J-E-F? You know, Scott, this is a business I've followed a long time. Originally, it was called Lucadia, run by uh, Mr. Steinberg, who's still the chairman. Uh, Rich Hadler now runs it, known as Jeffries. Uh, they've sold off recently the, the remnants of Lucadia, the merchant bank, um, and they've used a lot of that cash to buy back in the shares. Uh, pays a nice dividend north of 3%, and it trades for less than its tangible book value. So um, I think that's going to work out for people at this price. Okay. Your, your last pick, uh, WNS, uh, WNS Holdings. Um, I'm going to just mention that to our viewers. I'm going to leave it there because I want to do I do want to hit the stock of, of overtime, Mark. I'll talk to you soon and I know we'll have you back. But I do want to throw up shares of Snap uh, and leave you on a, another look here. Uh, if Snap opened at, at this level, it would be the third worst decline uh, ever for those shares. It gives you an idea of just what we're looking at here. A decline, as I see, greater at this moment uh, of than 26 percent. The weakest ever sales growth for that company, a, uh, a significant uh, cut back in spending, including uh, in hiring. And we'll have to keep our eye on that. And you can be certain that the folks who are coming up in just uh, five seconds or so on Fast Money will do just that. Let's go there right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.